Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two-Headed Game Master. I'm Cosmo, one of the heads. And I'm Dane, the... Beatboxing head. That was my attempt. It was bad. He's beatboxing today. Uh, Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about running, designing, uh, writing, and playing role-playing games, where we discuss our favorite hobby, share our thoughts with you all, and even play some games sometimes. Cosmo, what will we be discussing today? Today, uh, we are going to be talking about player species in role-playing games. Um, basically, we're going to be talking about how to use uh, player character race and species to enrich your role-playing game stories and settings. Pretty interesting stuff. What's Let's see. All right. So we're going to have a quick little discussion on race, uh, species, and ancestry in role-playing games. We're going to talk about how to apply limits and guidelines to said race, species, and ancestry. We're going to talk about coming up with your own. And, wicka wicka, we're going to be sharing some examples from our own setting using that uses the Eclipse engine called mm -hmm. Afterlife. Pretty exciting. And then we're going to we're going to finish by talking about how to break the rules because breaking rules is always fun. Great save. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So let's uh, get into it. So talking about race, species, ancestry in role playing games. It's a it's basically a staple of the hobby as far back as you know the original Dungeons and Dragons. Which was heavily, um, heavily inspired by Lord of the Rings, which you know, as everybody knows, fantastic uh, fantasy. Hobbits and elves and dwarves and humans and orcs and, orcs and stuff, and goblins, all kinds of you know, fun stuff. So that is, it is a, uh, it is an aspect of the hobby that has been around as long as the hobby has existed, basically, um, and you know, it's you could call it a pillar of it or a, or a keystone. It's it's a pretty significant aspect of the hobby, so we felt like it was worth discussing. Yes, uh, race is just a common uh, term, but we kind of think it's a inaccurate. Um, you know, there's some probably problematic real world connotations uh, with talking about races. So I think we use the term species in our settings. Um, so like that's just what we're going to refer to it as uh, species. Mm -hmm. Uh, and generally speaking, you know, if you're talking about actual different species with different physiologies and stuff like that, like dwarves and elves, robots, aliens, whatever, it's it might be a better word to describe what we're actually talking about. Just um, more accurate. Yeah, than, um, than race. And if you follow the hobby, you know, D&D &D is confronting this idea right now and they're, they're re-examining the ideas of... Um, what you're locked into as far as, you know, picking that stuff and the the ideas that have been there for a long time but haven't really been explored in the ways that they can be, you know, kind of problematic. But All right. So the purpose of different races or from now on species is to add variety and interest for player characters. Uh, enrich the game worlds and give them like stuff to to geek out about. Uh, and it's not, the purpose is not to reinforce harmful real-world prejudice. Right. It's supposed to get players excited about the idea 
and you're like, well, I want to be, I want to be this type of character in this mm-hmm. setting because I think this is an interesting angle to it. And yeah, so that's mostly what we want to talk about today. Um, another thing which can go hand in hand, you can have species in this, or if you're doing like a historical adventure and you just have humans in it, there is still a there's still there's an aspect of this. Variety, yeah. Right. And uh, that term is called ancestry. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been calling it. And basically, uh, it's a way to help describe how characters' diverse backgrounds can inform aspects of their identity, which, as we talked a lot about in our last episode, should also be married to gameplay mechanics. Um, right. So, examples of ancestry, uh, like in a historical context, uh, noble versus peasants. Mm-hmm. And that works for fantasy as well, but mm-hmm. noble versus peasant, that's a terrific idea. Uh, people who come from different nationalities or different, uh, you know, religious backgrounds or something. Things like that can be... Uh, they Very can be, enriching. Yeah, they can be a huge part of the game world. They can be a huge part of a character's identity. They can inform things about the way, you know, the way you play them, um, the decisions that they make. And you can lead that stuff into their stats. Uh, you know, a noble character, probably better educated than a peasant mm-hmm. character. That can inform how you spec them out with your attributes. And then, or how they go about solving problems. Right. Point is to enrich. Point is to enrich your world, enrich the culture, not, you know, reinforce negative ideas or, you know, explore prejudice and stuff. Well, you could explore prejudice, I guess, but if that's what, if that's the kind of but story you want to tell. don't uh, necessarily reinforce uh, yeah, real world shit. No. Yeah, the purpose is not to reinforce negative things. Um, it's to enrich your setting, enrich your storytelling experience. Yeah, and why maybe, you know, doing a prejudice thing in the role-playing could help you see from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's good. Yeah. Um, so that's basically the. Mm, well, that's just the purpose yeah, we think. That's that, that's the intro you know, to this whole conversation. Species the stuff and we want to talk about in role playing. So let's talk about how to create and apply uh, game mechanic mechanics. So uh, in the Eclipse Engine, mm. and it can apply elsewhere, and other game systems do it as well. Uh, There's, like, attributes, floors, and ceilings. Um, So, like, just some species can't do... They can't have a strength of 13. Right. Which is, um, like, an example of that. A Lord of the Rings example. Because everyone loves those. I do. Uh, You know, when they're trying to go over the mountain, the hobbits can't carry as much stuff. They're small. Mm -hmm. Their strength... if If you were to translate their characters into gameplay mechanics... They wouldn't be as physically powerful as, like, Boromir and Aragorn were. That's why mm-hmm. they carried, like, the heavy wood bundles. And that's why, you know, when they got snowed in, they were the ones who shoved the snow out of the right. way and then carried the hobbits out. The hobbits are good at lots of stuff. They're just mm-hmm. physically smaller. Right. You reflect something like that in your, um, in the stats of your character and in the gameplay mechanics that you, uh, that they engage with. Right, you know, another example from Lord of the Rings, uh, when um, they're going, they're trying to rescue Merry and Pippin, and they're running across country, and, you know, Gimli's like, dwarves are yeah. natural sprinters, very dangerous from close distances. 
and he, you know, he keeps up. Right? He keeps up, but you know, he's not having a good time. And Legolas is like, "Oh, I can just run forever. I'm a magic elf." <laughs> That's you know, those are those are things about who they are mm-hmm. that you know they don't have any control over. That those are just uh, limits to their character based on who they already are. Right. So, like the background information uh, that informs those limits, like being a dwarf. Uh, reinforces the story and uh, misspoke. It's informed by the story, right? Mm. Oh, the dwarves. Here's a long history of dwarves. This is what dwarves are good at. Mm-hmm. This is what they're like. This is you know the way they are, kinda. And right, to reference back to our last episode, uh, the marriage of mechanics and narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a mechanic that's, and I guess we're picking on dwarves. Uh, they can't run six days straight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this is reflected in like Dungeons and Dragons, which is, you know, as I mentioned, directly informed at least in its original incarnation by a lot of direct Lord of the Rings references. Um, there's a there's uh, multiple examples in like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Dwarves can see really good in the dark. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure dwarves just always have dark vision yeah. in D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. But they also can't see that good above ground in, like, you know, full light. Right. They don't see as good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are those are great examples of, you know, how these characters of different species, basically. I think. Right. Giving, giving us um, species traits that's uh add variety and rich story uh that's our situational mm-hmm. in gameplay right like oh we're in a tunnel i got good vision right oh we're out on the open savannah mm, my vision not so good right um and you know other examples of that we talked about language last time mm-hmm. in D that could be something about who your character is uh if if part of their ancestry is I don't know the like draconic ancestry in D and D. Well, then that gives them the language, uh, or you know maybe they can breathe water like the lizards in Skyrim. Right. That's the Argonians. That's a really cool thing. It's situational. It's and they're immune to poison. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, they live in a poison swamp. So that's part of the story. They live in a poison swamp. They're lizard people who live in the swamp and swim around. Those aspects of their physiology have gameplay mechanic uh, application. You can swim and breathe underwater. That lets you do stuff that other characters can't. Um, And once again, enriches the setting, enriches Mm -hmm. the story, enriches the role-playing experience. You know, so like game masters out there, it's always fun to play to... uh, your players and like their characters so like if they have water breathing throw in a situation where that will be really helpful Mm -hmm. like that's always fun and like you don't necessarily have to like shoehorn it in there forcefully but like you know maybe just give an option it's like oh there's something shiny at the bottom of the lake you don't have to go down there but like you could because you breathe water and you have a you have a good reason to go down there because you can other Mm -hmm. characters might not be able to you might, you might discover something that everyone else would miss. All right. So, uh, 
that's kind of how to apply. But what about coming up with your own? You know, like D&D already has a bunch of options. Mm-hmm. Um, but like also they do like there's a bunch of homebrew content with new races, uh, species, sorry, excuse. Um, and how do you do that? If you don't feel like you jive with any of the species in your game, make up a new one. Or if you're already planning to build something from scratch, sure. you're coming up with a whole new setting. Right. Like we did uh, with Afterlife. We are mentioning it more and more. Um, it's so hot right now. So hot. So maybe we should... Uh, well, so we're going we're gonna to talk about the process that we kind of went through to come up with a different species in our original setting. But maybe we should tell everybody real quick a little give bit a, about what Give a little what elevator is. pitch. Yeah. Um, so Afterlife is, uh, Afterlife is a post-apocalyptic setting. And as of right now, it's mostly in North America. We haven't explored much outside of that. North America is pretty big. But yeah. Um, So it's a post-apocalyptic setting with a lot of the same sci-fi stuff that you would see in like Wasteland or Fallout. Um, Old technology from the old world. But then also, uh, you know, lots of radiation from a big solar event. And And nuclear war. And nuclear war. And uh, that has given rise to some new species, some mutant species, as well as some, like, super science creations where, you know, new new species were created in labs uh, during this period of apocalypse. And now the whole continent is a kind of a sci-fi fantasy blend setting. Yeah. With... All kinds of fun stuff going on. Fun stuff. So, we have... We made several different species. Uh, I believe six in total. Six. That looks right. Uh, so, they're not in alphabetical order. But, we're just read them off in the order that uh, is on our outline here. Mm. So and we'll talk about the, idea, yeah. the, the ideas that make them different mm. from each other. And uh, the process in our... World building and game mechanics design that led us to come up with these characters and or these species and set the things about them that are different from each other. Right. All right. So we in Afterlife, you can play as a droid, mm-hmm. uh, classic, you know, android autonomous uh, machine, and classic sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi robots. Star Wars has similar things. Uh, we we've talked a lot about how different ones of them look. They're not. It's not like a single uh, manufacturing right. line. They don't of all robots. look like battle droids, yeah. right? They they could look like however you want to make them. They could look more human. They could look like a trash can with arms. That's <laughs> you know, that's very much up to you. But their species in the context of the game world is droid. Mm. Um, and there's a couple things that come with that. They generally lack charisma. Right, they're they're metal. They are not flesh, mm-hmm. uh, and like you know, there's there's a huge debate that you can get in if you're playing Afterlife. Uh, like, do they have feelings? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's that's always a classic sci-fi trope uh, when you're dealing with right. Do these like autonomous AI characters? Well, but are they actually like alive? Do they, you know, and you could have a whole story do about feel? like, do they feel? Do they deserve rights? That's you could argue about that mm. in the game. You could have characters, you could have like a villain who's, you know, really anti-robot and right. has this whole like campaign against them, whatever. So, but 
Yeah. General lack of charisma. That's kind of the main thing. Um, so we have a statistic ceiling for one of their attributes where they can't get above a certain amount. I thought we changed it. Now it's just a minus one. To yeah, that's one. right. Now it yeah. is. You're right. So they just um, always have a minus one. You can still put a bunch stuff. of points yeah. into charisma and be a very charismatic robot. And we'll talk about that idea later about mm. bucking these things. But yeah. So they have a general lack of charisma. But their bonus, why you would want to be a droid, and, uh, you know, for other reasons other than they're just cool, yeah. would, is their ability to communicate and interact by radio. So what we said is, is all the droids have like a built-in radio device in their head. So with their mind attribute, they can talk to other droids. They can also like listen in to radio broadcasts or try and like hack computers. Right. You know, like a, they have like a little Bluetooth yeah. in their head that like can try to reach out and touch other things. So if they're near stuff, they can silently communicate and they can try and interface with other machines. And what we said is, you know, you do that with your like mind and perception stats as one of these characters. You can be like, well, I, you know, I try and like tap into the radio signal, find where it's coming from, or I secretly like send a message by my head radio to another droid character. That's uh right, or to just another character's radio. Mm-hmm. If yeah, if a human character in your party has a walkie-talkie, well, they don't need a walkie-talkie because they've got one in their head. The droid does. Um, yeah. So that's the first one. Droids, pretty cool. Next, um, next we have frogmen, which the idea of this in the in the sci-fi setting of the of afterlife, um, there were various like super soldier programs going on, and a couple of them were splicing humans with animals, trying to create like the perfect soldier. And one of the things they created were frogmen, which are basically like creature from the black lagoon. They're aquatic humanoids with amphibian characteristics. Right, and like the the actual splicing took place in the setting long, long ago. Yeah. So like now they're just wild. Now, frogmen. yeah, they're just the frogmen and, and they know, live in villages or among other people. The way or, we've been, you know, thinking about it is like, sure, there's like the feral, feral frogmen who are just like, you know, some enemies, but like they also do have societies and like villages and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's co-mingling. It's not like they're always enemies. Right? right. The, like, the innkeeper in in a town that you go to could just be a frogman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they have a couple things when we were creating them that we set. So, they have, they're basically human. They have human physicality. They're human size. They have mostly human strength and, uh, you know, they could be weaker, stronger, faster, slower, smarter, dumber. Whatever. Um, Their physicality is mostly human, but they have a distinct non-human appearance. They look like a frog. So that comes with whatever you want to give them. Maybe people Mm -hmm. don't like that. Maybe people are afraid of it. Maybe people are real horny for it. I don't know. Weird. Uh, (laughs) No shade. No shade. So uh, We're not a kink-shaming podcast. Their their stats, what makes them different mechanically? Uh, well, one, they can breathe water. Mm-hmm. We give them that. Same as the Argonians. These guys are human amphibian splices. Most of them probably live around water, and they can breathe water. That's a cool mechanic. 
And their negative is they need water. Like they they are wet environment mm-hmm. uh, characters. So if they're hiking across the the Texas desert, they're gonna feel it before other characters do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought that was a cool idea. Those are game mechanics that also directly we, affect how we you also, roll. Play. We also didn't put any hard numbers on that negative. Like, there's no, like, mm. oh, if you've gone three days without a drink, you then know, you this, get this level right, of bonus. Whatever. Yeah. We just, just put up, in there. Up to game master discretion. Like, when does it, when is it a good time to come into the story? Then, you know, oh, you guys have been hiking through the desert for three days. You don't you know minus one to dexterity right you're too dry mm-hmm. or just you know whatever role you try and do and you're like well have you had much water mm. Mm, no well okay little little debuff right. to your role uh we like that idea it mostly is story driven it right. it affects um it's informed by the story yeah right? it's informed by setting and story and then you come up with ways to add gameplay mechanics to it. Which I think is is a very important thing when you're making up your own species. Leave room for the story to come into play because that's that's what we think the purpose is. Uh, you know, add variety, enrich the story. So like if it's always set in stone, eventually if you play enough, one of your players is going to do something weird and you're just like, this doesn't fit with the rules that I made up. So just be, you know, just change them. Just, you know, make it uh, make it part of the story. Yeah. Um, so next uh, we have gammas, gamma mutants. That's our next uh, species right. in the afterlife so universe. Gamma, ra- or gamma yeah. you know, waves, radiation. So they are irradiated beings mm-hmm. who have gone uh, physical transformations. Yeah. So it's a new species offshoot from humans. They began as like human mutants or, you know, like mutant human births. Mm-hmm. Now they're their own separate species. Right. So then they're very physically diverse, right? Mm-hmm. They, they come in all shapes and sizes. These gammas do. Yeah. Uh, main thing in our description, they're, you know, uh, green and like blue, mostly green like skin. Yeah. Because that's radiation colored. In right. All the we all colors. know that. Yeah. <laughs> So they they got they got green skin with like spots and stuff on them. They have uh, uh, all kinds of you know they could be little guys, they could be they, big, they could be like they forearms. could have forearms, they could have two heads. Yeah. Oh, like the two headed game master. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> fox. Um, and because they were born of this uh, this like solar radiation event, that's what caused them. To start being born in the first place. They love the rads. They love the radiation. They have an affinity for the radiation. Um, it's in many cases part of their culture to you know like have this close relationship with. It's like having a you know close relationship with the natural world if you're like a forest hunter mm-hmm. guy, but theirs is about radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we put in for game mechanics is they heal in the presence of radiation. Because that's their physiology. Radiation doesn't, like, frighten or harm them. It's something they embrace. Mm. And because of the way their bodies are, they actually heal from it. So if you can get a radiation source Mm. for a gamma, then, you know, they can use it to make themselves more powerful. 
they also have what I believe we call scary face. Yeah. Uh, because they are mutated and like most, you know, the soft tissues uh, degrade, right? So like most of them like missing noses yeah. and ears and like, you know, gross. So that's a minus to charisma, but a plus to intimidation. Scary face. Mm-hmm. Uh, when dealing with non-gammas. Right. Is the situation. When dealing with non-gammas. Because, you know, all's fair or... I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say. <laughs> Alright, and of course, there are humans running around in afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, most common of the species just because, you know, we be humans. We be living in human society. Mm-hmm. And we don't have... So humans don't really have anything going for them uh, gameplay mechanics-wise aside from a couple little things. The... The well, point of them, one thing. right, is them being common and highly adaptable. So humans are everywhere. Most of the societies in afterlife are still mostly run by humans, and they're everywhere. So you can have a human of basically any background with any skill set. Mm-hmm. And that's not that that doesn't apply to everybody else. It's definitely true of all the other species as well, but humans are just much more common. Right. And, mm, you know... They're highly adaptable because we as humans are highly adaptable. We uh, live all over the globe in all different climates. Mm-hmm. So they get an extra point. Um, yeah. they just They get an extra attribute, attribute point. So you can go up in a little bit, uh, just a little bit higher than everyone else can be because of this adaptability thing. Mm-hmm. So that's not the only... You'll get there. I don't think I... Chicka, chicka, I won't get there. Um, We're talking about humans. You're going to have to do it. Okay. (laughs) Humans, I guess, how would I say this? Humans aren't the only great ape uh, in (laughs) Afterlife. But you just gave it away. It's apes. Um, Homo sapiens. Yeah. Well, we're homo sapiens. Yeah, we're homo sapiens. Homo erectus. mm, I know. I just wanted to say erectus. Okay. (laughs) Uh, but, yeah. So, the next one is, uh, the other great apes. So, um, like the Planet of the Apes series, which we like. Which we love. That's great sci-fi. Basically, we just stole that. Um, in Afterlife, all the zoo apes are, you know, because well, that's, of the, that's how they started. It's yeah. like they were zoo apes, uh, you know, 200 years ago. Right. And because of the radiation and because of them being kind of just like left to their own devices when society collapsed, they, you know, they came out of the zoos into the ruins of human society. And now they're just their own species. They're their own people in the mm-hmm. afterlife. So there are uh, different areas around the continent where larger groups of them have formed, usually around like, you know, cities and zoos, or they've moved out into the woods and mountains. Right, you know, like... Uh Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, there's the region we like to call Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Get it? So the Appalachian Mountains in Afterlife have lots of apes in them, because it's good, like, mountain... Good wilderness. ...old-growth forest, and that's where they uh, that's where they kind of went and have built their, like, homes and tribes, and... Yeah. So we always liked that idea. So what We just makes, stole it, put it in our game. What makes apes different than humans? Okay. Uh, so... What we put in is um, their 
Subcategories, yeah. Subspecies. So, so there is uh, there's chimps and gorillas, and you can be either one. And they're they're mostly similar stats wise, but uh, gorillas are stronger. Just they get a they get a buff to their physicality right off the bat. Um, chimps get a buff or to their dexterous. dexterity right off the bat. We also like the idea that they're fast learners, and you know sometimes they don't always have context for what they're seeing or learning, but they have. Their society evolved by like picking up on the human, the ruins of human society around them. So what we also gave them is just an extra skill. And so it's a very specific. You get to choose a free skill from like a list. From a list, and right. those are like physical skills. You can have like acrobatics or climbing or whatever. You can have that for free, but what that does is free up one of your skill slots right. to learn so something new. In in the Eclipse Engine, you get seven skills. Well. In Afterlife, if you choose an ape, you get eight yeah. to start with. And one of them is kind of preset for you. Mm. It's going to be a physical skill. Uh, but then now you we still gave language have... language, too. Oh, yeah, we did. So, you know, it's they're, they're about so, physicality yeah. or directly tied right. to learning. Because they're yeah. fast learners. That was the fast idea. Learners. Um, so that's uh, apes in the Afterlife setting. Very cool. We've had... I don't think we've ever really had a party where someone wasn't an ape. Yeah. Seems popular. Well, and it's popular, a cool thing. popular in our like ten people who've played, played the game. But yeah, I think out of the species, I think Frogman is the only one that doesn't get the love. Yeah, Frogman doesn't get much love, but everyone loves the apes for some reason. Yes. I mean, they're cool, but I think they're all cool. They're all cool. Uh, what is our last one? The last one is a ward. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings reference. Lord of the Rings reference. And just general fantasy now. Yeah, everyone just, yeah. Wargs are You should know what a warg is. But in the context of afterlife, they're a little bit different. Uh, In afterlife, wargs are another human-animal splice, like hybrid. Like the uh, frogmen. Like the frogmen. And the idea was that, you know, when the solar event happened and the apocalypse was coming... um, NATO and the Soviet Union were, you know, they're they're about to go to war and everything was scary. Uh, so one of the super soldier programs that they came up with was, was these wolfmen, basically. Predators, right? You yeah. know, let's make super predators. So they look like Hollywood wolfmen. They're humans, but they're hairy and they got claws and wolf ears and fangs. I guess and... predatorism is they created good hunters yeah. because, you know, we've all seen the predator. That's a different thing. Um... But yeah, so wargs are a, uh, they're another human-animal splice, and they're, they're distinct from the frogmen in that, you know... They're, they're furry where the frogmen are sticky. Yeah. Frogmen are amphibians. <laughs> wargs are, they're, they're, they're wolfmen. Um, so, what, uh, what stuff did we give them? How do we talk uh, about that? Right, so as uh, heightened... Or humans spliced with super hunters, uh, they have good dexterity and speed, and the ability to perceive. So they they have uh, dark vision, or yeah. if you wanted to use a D and D term, um, but also they have just other. Their senses are much heightened, or much more heightened, right? right. So like they can perceive with smell and hearing, where like a human, oh, I roll a perceptive roll. Eh, it's not so great, but like a warg's 
rolls the same roll, it's like, well, I don't see anything, but what do I hear? Right. What do and I smell? The way uh, the way we've implemented that, you could have a human and a ward character who have the same attribute value yep. in perception. They could have the same. They could be like eight in perception. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Um, or, you know, the human could even be better than the ward. Yep. That's not the point. The point is that, you know, where a human... With Might their perception not. value, they're probably going to use it to look at stuff. Right. But a warg can hear stuff and smell stuff that would, you know... That human can't. Yeah, that a, that a human senses wouldn't detect. Even though they're using the same value on perception, you know, something could be hidden really well mm-hmm. physically... Right, and you know, that's but another... But the warg could smell it. Another thing, leave up to the game master to, to put that in. Uh, play to your characters... Oh, they're looking around for, like, I don't know, a dead body. Well, they can't see it because it's, like, in a shallow grave, but, like, the ward could smell it. Right. Um, so that's uh, them, basically. That's, af- that's the species of afterlife. We got don't you want to play? Droids, frogmen, gamma mutants, humans, apes, and wargs. <laughs> and I guess, uh, I mean, the Eclipse Engine and as an extension of the Eclipse engine, Afterlife is highly geared towards homebrew content. And even though we're the only ones running it right now, because we haven't distributed it to anybody, it's not in a publishable state currently, but we'll get there. Um, We built it from the ground up to be very like homebrewable. And it would be the easiest thing in the world if you wanted to make up another splice. And this one is a bear splice or a fucking rhino splice. Um, you could do that so easily or make a, you know, an offshoot of like droids where it's not, you know, physical. They're made out of like gel or something. Mm. They're made out of like smart gel nanomaterial. It's like a ball of collected radiation that gains sentience. That could be, you could do that so easily. The Eclipse engine would let you do that. Nobody is going to come tell you no. Right. Just come up with a couple things that make it unique, make it special, uh, you know, and then give some negatives, right? But those are the uh, the ones that we came up with and the ones we've been using. Um, that's not all. There's also different cultures within species. So, like, yeah. you can make species and then add variety in your species. Like, oh, the apes, there's a chimp and a gorilla, mm-hmm. right? You can also add different cultures, for example, in with the gammas, right, the mutants, there's two distinct cultures in our setting afterlife. There's the Southwest glow zone. Mm-hmm. They also like, you know, think just, you know, Southwest aesthetic, uh, you know, adobe brick houses and, you know, that kind of thing. Lots of old military bases. Mm-hmm. So these, these gamma mutants, they live in the desert and that's their kind of like their cultural aesthetic comes from the ruins of that part of human society. Right, and like they're all about the sun because the sun be so hot down there. Mm-hmm. Sun gives them the radiation. They fucking love it. Uh, but then we also have like northern gammas. Gamma mutants came up all over the country, all over the continent, all over the world probably, but we yeah. haven't gone to Europe we or gone to Africa Europe. or anything yet. We might someday. Um, but yeah, so in North America, there's also northern gammas. Northern Gammas live in, like, the forests of the Great Lakes in the Midwest and up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And they're all about them northern lights. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's what they're all about. That and really gets them jazzed. 
they uh, they live less near urban ruins. They live more just like in the woods. So they have like nature connections. They're kind of they're a little crunchy, <laughs> you could say. Uh, but they're both still gamma mutants. So they have so, the same like physical stuff know. about them for the most part, and uh, the same bonuses and debuffs. But the uh, the cultures that they come from can still be very different. Right, so you can choose a gamma, and then you can choose your culture. You know, like much like ancestry or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, like I'm a gamma mutant, but or being I... like a high elf or a wood elf in D and D. Yeah, we've you know we built that stuff in because we think that we think that variety is important. We think it does. Uh, we think it does a good job expanding mm-hmm. the universe that the game is set in. And, you know, and if your players don't want to go that deep, they can always just be like, um, I'm just a regular gamma from some other place. So I have no connection with yeah. like the glow zone or the northern gammas. I'm just a loner gamma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fine. They don't want to get into it. Don't get into it. Uh, so some other examples uh, within Afterlife are what we call the Lone Star Republic, which is the closest or like continuation of the United States government in this apocalypse. Uh, in Texas, Lone Star, get it? Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're like, you know, think... That's uh, where, like, most... Western expansion. Yeah. That's that's where society has survived the best. They have a government. um, They have an army. And they, you know, they live mostly the way we live, except, you know, it's still post-apocalypse. So it's it's a lot more, yeah, like frontier times. Mm, Right. So there's, you know, marshals or, you know, rangers. Sheriffs and... and you know, senators and law and order, I guess, you know. Right. And, like, a kid would probably go to school, at least mm. to some degree. Right, in university after that, maybe, mm. right? Uh, but then, you know, so they're all mostly humans. Then there's, like, the highway barbarians. Mm-hmm. Again, mostly humans, but they're on, like, the Great Plains, right? You know, they run, you know, uh, I-70 and, uh, you know... Riding the highways like Mad Max and they're... Right. They're nomadic... Mm-hmm. tribal culture right so like they have different little customs in between tribes you know tribe a does this tribe b does that so you'd be like i'm a human i'm a human from the lsr i uh have some education and i grew up riding horses that's what my character's good at and you're like well i'm a human from this clan in the in the highway barbarians I uh I, I repair car engines. I have like a, a motorcycle. Um, this like motorcycle. affinity for machines kind of. And that's that's how I built my character to spec into that and that's the stuff I'm good at. That's how I help my party. Those are the things that I like and engage with. Different cultures Different within cultures. You know, within the larger world, still and within, both human. Yeah, but still both human. Vastly different uh, worldviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one we just talked about wargs. Wargs are cool. Uh, so we talked about how like NATO and the Soviets both were trying to make these super soldiers. Um, we like the idea of this cultural difference between those different groups that has persisted into the current time in the game, where the Soviet wargs were like lone infiltrators sent, you know, through Alaska or over the pole to, like, mess shit up before an invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, but the NATO ones are much more, like, pack-oriented. They have, like, unit cohesion, and that's, you know, maybe they were military units mm. back when the apocalypse happened. Now, those military units, their descendants are 
you know, a pack in a certain area. Right, like in, for example, how this could come into gameplay is, you know, you choose a Soviet warg, uh, you don't have a pack. Mm -hmm. Choose a NATO one, you you have a pack, and you get to come up with, like, oh, I'm from the such and such. I'm from this forest, and this is my, like, you know, these are my tribal traditions, and I use that stuff to inform how I play my character. Or, you know, if you're the lone wolf one... Because they're wolves. Wolves. Um, you know, you use that to inform your character in a different way. Maybe they don't get along super well with the rest of the party. Maybe, you know, it's hard to work with them. We've had that. We've had that happen. And God, damn, that's annoying. <laughs> well, he took it too far. The, pl- the player took it too far. It is kind of fun to, like, be at odds with, like, your uh, compatriots and, you know, the party. But, like, uh, don't... Yeah, I think that's a maybe. I think that's a whole a, a whole another conversation yeah. to get into. It's fun to have a a dissenting opinion in a party, but it's not fun to like Constantly actively work every, against each other. Every single time, cause a problem when there's no need. Yeah. Um, but basically, that's the point. Different cultures within these things, increased diversity, increased cultural enrichment to make your world building better, to make the overall role-playing experience better. Right, you know, think about uh, physiology and culture as role-playing props. Mm -hmm. And we talked about some D&D examples before we did this, uh, before we talked about the afterlife examples. Uh, Physiology and culture... Like, how big are they? Are they small? Are they small like a halfling? Mm-hmm. Well, then they're probably not going to be an armored swordsman. Probably not. But they could but... be all kinds of other stuff. Yes. And maybe, maybe they, they are. are. Maybe they Which fucking are. Brings us to breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. Breaking the law. Like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that'll land with anybody. Maybe. I'm sure people are old enough to get Beavis and Butthead, but was it even, like, did it resonate with anybody to any degree? I don't really remember any of the episodes I watched or any of the jokes. But that's just me. I do, but I feel like it's a dumb thing that I've done (laughs) to, like, make any room in my brain for it. (laughs) All right, so anyways, (laughs) uh, breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. Idea, uh, the idea that players... Player species slash ancestry should serve the story in a rich setting, um, which can it can do that when you buck like the rules and the stereotypes uh, in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, caveat: uh, don't use this stuff to reinforce negative real world tropes. Uh, but like, for example, the the halfling mm-hmm. that you know traditionally they are not good swordsmen they're mm-hmm. not good warriors but because they're physically limited in remember couple the great took yeah bend took the bull roarer who was so tall he could ride a horse yes he he was that tall so you know that's a really cool kind of character especially in a especially in a party of similar characters or um you know dissimilar characters a like a a giant halfling in a party of other halflings or a giant halfling who can hold his own with like mm. human warriors from Gondor. That's, that's a fucking kick-ass idea. Right. Um, you know, some other stuff, super buff halfling. That's one. We mm. talked about, uh, how in afterlife droids are hampered in the charisma department. Right. A super charismatic droid. Maybe you overcome that by like, well, my droid used to be a sex bot. <laughs> <laughs> 
and like a really good one and they're sexy as hell and charismatic as hell and know how to how to charm yeah and that's their thing and even though at the most basic level a droid character is meant to well the idea of a droid is not inherently like the sexy one you make the sexy one you make them so that they like seduce and charisma their way through the through the adventure mm. that's a fucking cool idea too right or you know uh an orc or you know maybe an afterlife a gamma mutant mm -hmm. who is uh you know a real smart brainy type you know a big nerd yeah instead of a buff warrior they're they're fucking geek and that's how they solve problems, because they're clever. They do research, and they know things that other characters don't know, like how to mm. rewire something or fix something. And... Right, you know, and, like, you know, this can come in, like, with uh, with the ancestry, kind of, you know, the backstory. So maybe, you know, an orc or a gamma mutant, uh, they were raised by a different culture. Like, they got taken in and were raised up differently to enjoy books and learning and whatever. I remember hearing something about this, and this it sucks that I can't remember my source on this, but I believe this had something to do with when Wizards of the Coast was talking about their restructuring the idea of race in their, in their game books. Um, the idea was specifically about an orc, but like this orc was raised in like a high elf castle, and mm -hmm. so they were like a real... Uh, brainy academic type but if you follow the rules really closely they're limited in some of those things yeah. they have just like an absolute hard ceiling on their intelligence or something and that wasn't really good given you know the character that mm. and how the character should have been because there's nothing stopping you know if you're raised right uh in any situation you're gonna uh Right, you're you know, going to mold yourself. You will be molded by the situation you're right. raised in. The nurture. Yeah. Right, the nurture aspects. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always fun to, to shove, a, um, shove a rule breaker, mm -hmm. you know, up the, up the game master's ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, right, so they, you know, uh, breaking the rules, uh, characters that break the rules, uh, challenge and deconstruct preconceived notions, right, you know, Oh, typically halflings aren't big warriors. Oh, but you're huge. Mm -hmm. That's a cool thing to be. Cool story to tell. Cool role-playing to explore. Right. You know, I guess, you know, ending uh, with the breaking of the rules, you know, do whatever. Right. Just do good role-playing and tell a fun story. It's a hobby. It's a game. It's supposed to be fun. You know, hopefully you, you soaked up a little bit about how to use uh, species and ancestry and backstory for your characters to do that, to tell a fun story. Tell the story of, you know, an orc raised by high elves. Because mm -hmm. that's a cool story. That sounds like an awesome story. Um, okay, so what did we go over today? We talked about the idea of race, species, ancestry, and role-playing games. We talked about how long it's been a part of it, what a big part of the hobby it is, um, and... We talked about how to apply limits and guidelines, how those things are used. Uh, we talked about how to come up with your own species. We went through uh, our species in Afterlife, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some, some uh, pre-release content. I think that's a good way to put it. I think you'll start hearing more about Afterlife. Um, and if you're listening and you're interested, we're working towards an eventual, an eventual release of that product, the setting. 
because that's that's our main like world building and storytelling focus right now. So we're going to talk about that more. We talked about all the species in Afterlife, and then we talked about how to break the rules of species in a role playing game and mechanical limitations on species, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And uh, boom, that's about Another it. So hopefully episode. that's helpful. And hopefully that was fun to uh, to listen to. Go out and make cool stuff for your role-playing game and then play it. Uh, I think that's it for today. Another episode of Two-Headed Game Master in the Books. Uh, as always, you can find us on 2HGM.com. Our email and Twitter and Patreon link are all on the websites. Mm-hmm. Check uh, those out. Also on the website is the Eclipse Engine document for free. Free for download with character sheets, everything you need. Uh, if you want to get started with something like this, it's up there. It's easy to learn and it's free. We'll I really keep hope saying my that. Beatboxing doesn't ruin the, the recording track. I don't think it's ruined. It just it might not be that good of beatboxing. Well, it's definitely not that good of beatboxing. But like, I hope it just like doesn't. Uh, whatever. Anyway, it doesn't wash it out. Hey, join us uh, next time for another episode of Two Headed Game Master. Yep. Uh, thank you to the Burning Saviors for the use of their song Pontilla's Finest as the intro and outro for our podcast. And we will see you next time. See you next time. Bye.